0: Kevin, when Kevin uh, let John and I know that he was going to be gone, he first approached us to say, hey, how about this? What if Eric kind of examined the theme of water throughout Scripture and maybe took about 15 minutes to do that, and then John could take about 30 minutes to present on living water? And so I said, sure, I'm agreeable to that. And John said, sure, he'd do that. And then I kind of thought about the theme of water in Scripture and realized, um, you know, I would probably need to talk about several stories. Probably start with Noah and talk about how God saved them from and through the water. Uh, we could talk about Moses getting water from the rock by you know, stri- striking and speaking to the rock and getting water for the Israelite people. We could talk about the paradigmatic salvation stories of how God saves his people both at the Red Sea and then later through the crossing of, of the Jordan River. Um, in the prophets, you've got Amos using the imagery of water um, when he speaks about justice rolling down like, like a river. Um, there are numerous healings throughout Scripture that take place in water, right? Uh, in the Old Testament and the New. Uh, in the Jordan River and the pool of, of Bethsaida, uh, numerous places. Uh, it, at the cross, we see water come out of Jesus' side. Uh, we, could talk, we could spend an hour talking just about baptism how we were buried and raised out of that water, <clears throat> and then all the way to Revelation, we see a river of life coming out of the throne of God, and so water's prevalent throughout Scripture, and I'm thinking, boy, this is great stuff. And then I remember that he said about 15 minutes, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, I don't know, that, I don't know that I can do that. So um, instead of examining all those themes and all those stories, uh, I'm just going to read one text, which. Uh, means a lot to me. I've always been a little bit drawn to this text. I'm not totally sure why, but it speaks to me deeply. So I'm just going to read from Genesis chapter 21, uh, 8 through 21. <clears throat> and this is the story of Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar in the Hebrew means the one who fled because two times she flees or is sent away from Abraham uh, because of the jealousy playing out between uh, Sarah and and Hagar and Ishmael, Ishmael is the one who will be heard by God. That's the name given to him at birth. And then we see, we, we see God hearing him in this story. And it's just a sweet story of, of God caring and saving people. So I'll start in verse, uh, verse 8. The child grew, this is Isaac, the child Isaac grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that slave woman's son will never share an inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then... God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. A beautiful story of God's compassion that plays out in saving someone by opening up their eyes and letting them see a well of water. And that is essentially what John is doing in his work through Living Water. And so I'm gonna turn it over to John and let him tell us about that.
1: Thanks. Well, I am gonna go over on this side. Should I use this? It's already recording. Oh, it's recording. Yeah. I thought this was a mic. Oh. Okay. Well, most people that use PowerPoint use one of those clickers, but I'm a complete disaster when it comes to tech stuff, so I use a human being for mine. (laughs) So thank you, Dan. Um, I I started this, uh, as as Eric said, I got a text from Kevin that said, hey, can you teach my class on Sunday? And I'm thinking, well, those are big shoes to fill. I'm not a science guy. And I said, well, what am I going to talk about? And he said, well, why don't you talk about something, you know, that you know, which is the story of the Living Water Project. And I said, well, yeah, I can I can do that. Um, but, you know, most people have kind of heard that. And he said, you know, give the unabridged, detailed, you know, not 90 seconds on a ministry moment version. And I said, well, that, that works. So I started about uh, 8 o'clock last night. And... Just kind of kept adding and adding and adding, and I finished about one thirty, um, which is probably why I came in and wasn't able to get everything connected correctly. So, but anyway, there's there's a lot here, and uh, I have about thirty minutes, so I'll get going. Um, I want to say um, that um, usually the person or the people that stand in front of the church or groups. Uh, a lot of times it's going to be me or Kevin Colvette um, as sort of the front line guys of this ministry, but we are an all-volunteer-run ministry, which means that there are a number of people uh, at this church and a few who are outside this church uh, who give a great deal of time and commitment and make this sort of their front page ministry commitment, which uh, is necessary to run in the fashion that we have for the last 15 years. So. I hope you'll keep that in mind as we kind of go through this. Um, so most of you, although I know there are a lot of newer people who've come to Otter Creek since, um, since Shannon started all of this. Um, so a lot of you know about Shannon, some of you don't. Shannon Dickerson um, was a good friend of mine and a lot of people in this church. Um, he was maybe the first person I met when I walked in the door uh, in 1999. He was one of those people that immediately you're drawn to. He had a kindness, he had um, humility, a sense of humor. Um, And he was a part of, uh, I was a part of the single adults, young single adults um, at the time. And Shannon was a guy who was never content to live a status quo life. And so um, I give a lot of credit for whatever you may or may not see in my life that is maybe not status quo. I think Shannon, had a great deal of influence on me and a lot of people in that way to say you kind of got one chance at this life. We're committed to following Jesus and in the midst of our flaws let's not sit and be ordinary. So we were all sitting around well let me back up a little bit. Shannon decided uh, he came from a very wealthy family was an only child and one day he said you know I'm gonna put this into action. Uh, I'm gonna leave everything that I find comfortable, and I don't know where this is gonna lead, but I'm gonna sell my stuff, and I'm gonna go over to Germany and teach, uh, I think as a volunteer, on a volunteer basis, at a school for missionaries, children, and kind of see where that leads, and that'll sort of be my starting point for shaking things up and trying to be missional. So, he left in 2000. A few months later, he started not feeling well, um, went to some doctors uh, no one could quite figure out what was going on um, I think one doctor told him to take some herbs um, so he, he kept feeling worse and worse and he said I, I don't know what's going on but I've got to come I got to come back to the States and see my doctor and, and some specialists so he came back and um, was diagnosed with a rare form of lung cancer some sort of cell cancer um, you know, never smoked or anything, it was something genetic. Um, And they said there are a small number of cases on record for this type of cancer. I mean, maybe one or 200 I think that they had on record and there's one, only one case that's had survival for any length of time. Um, And so Shannon didn't accept that as, you know, of course he thought, well, I'm gonna be the second um, but I think he and all of us knew that the prognosis was not good, so um, there there are people who are facing death who decide I need to do something extraordinary to leave a legacy. I need to do something, you know, while my time is limited, and that is what Shannon did, but it's worth uh, saying, again, he had already made that decision to leave what was comfortable and to do something extraordinary. Um, it's just that what it ended up being in the end was very different than what he originally had set out to do. So um, some of us were sitting around at dinner one night, um, some friends of ours, and he said, did you guys know that around 6,000 people die around the world every single day just because they don't have clean water? And I'm sure someone had given me a statistic of that nature at some point. Um, But if they did, it went straight over my head. But he kind of kept talking about it and he said, The thing is, there's a lot of things wrong in the world that I can do absolutely nothing about. But this seems like something that the church can do something about. You know, he said, we can't do anything if there's a rogue leader or there's certain types of oppression that we have no control over or war, those things. But this is pretty simple, pretty fundamental, and there's really nothing more fundamental than, than water. So um, he said, well, why don't we take a year? And uh, of course, he's probably thinking he may have a year. And why don't we raise $25,000? So there's this great ministry Made in the Streets that Otter Creek has gotten connected to. This was back in the early days of, of our connection to Made in the Streets. He said, I know that they don't have a well, So why don't we as a group get together and raise $25,000 over the next year? And we were connected, closely connected to Made in the Streets and uh, a missionary named Donna Raju Bantu, who I know the Collins got to know and some other ones that uh, David and Greg and Ralph Wilson uh, and Kay had connected us to. So he said, why don't we raise money for two wells for these ministries that we're close with? So we did. So he said, well, let's do it. So we had a yard sale, Um, we had a pie auction, I think someone did swing dance lessons, we uh, asked for donations, and uh, uh, a year later we raised $26,000. So, okay, Dan. Um, This is Made in the Streets. Uh, These are pictures of what they were doing before the well was drilled. And when I was looking through this last night, I had forgotten that they would go and pull the van (laughs) Pull the van down to the to the uh, to the stream and get the water. So um, again, Shannon had paid a lot of attention and was aware of this. Um, next, please. And so, um, many of you have been to Made in the Streets and you've seen the tanks on top of the in uh, the boys' compound. Those are the tanks, and the first the first uh, Living Water Project well is down under, underground there. Um, and you can see here. This is Shannon Water Limited. Um, for several years, they actually had a business of selling water to the community at a very uh, inexpensive rate. Um, and they called it Shannon Water Limited, which is pretty cool. So you can see a cart pulled up here. And um, anyway, they're not doing that any, anymore for a variety of reasons, but um, that's, that's where it all started. Um, so, okay. Um, a couple of months later, um, well number two, Kamana I think is how you say that, India. Uh, This is Dhanaraju Bantu, right here. And uh, they ran uh, a home for orphans and widows. Um, He had a dramatic conversion experience um, some 50 years prior in India. And when he became familiar with the gospel, he said, this gospel says that pure Christianity is taking care of orphans and widows. So I'm gonna start a home to take care of orphans and widows, and he did. So um, this was the first of five India wells that Living Water has funded, okay? Um, So I mentioned, of course, Shannon was very ill. Um, He passed away May 23rd, 2002, um, and he had just gotten to see those first two wells go in before he passed away. Um, so I'm really glad that he was able to do that and uh, to live long enough to see that. So Shannon passed away and no one really, I mean, you know, everybody's very, very sad and um, I think no one was really sure what he had in mind when he started this. Uh, All he knew was a short period of time before him. So the question was, did he envision this to be something that would be more long term? in 2004, um, I, I was sort of leading the young adults group and um, kind of said, you know, it would be really sad if what Shannon started went away because he's gone. And wouldn't it be cool if maybe some of us got together and talked about continuing this um, as, a leg- as part of his legacy and in his honor? Uh, so we got some people together, Ruby Tuesday in Brentwood, and talked about it and decided it was worth trying. Um, I had, my background's in business. Um, I had no knowledge of water whatsoever. Um, None, other than that I do this and do this. (laughs) Or do this. Um, So you can imagine that that's kind of daunting when your background is in business and you don't know the first thing about water and you're trying to somehow get a water ministry going. So we formed a board um, of some people that, that were friends with Shannon. Um, and from 2003, 2004, till uh, 2008, it was a yard sale every year, a few donations here and there kind of trickling in, and just sort of a project that we were doing. You know, we would do a well and we would put a sign up that said, you know, this is in honor of Shannon, and then the verse uh, John 4 13 and 14 about the woman at the well. Um, and so it was just maybe one or two wells a year, but A very nice very nice thing um, to to do uh, in his memory and um, some of you I'm sure have met Bobby and Jerry Dickerson Shannon's parents Um, it meant a great deal to them that we would continue uh, in some form the work of their only child Um, this is another well in uh, India and then in 2007 or 8 this is the second well it made the streets um, this, this went on top of one of the buildings in an expansion of their property where they're doing some of the sewing and tailoring and some of the skills training. Um, if you've been to Mits, um if, you're, if you've been to MITs, all the water that on that campus is supplied by the first well. So next time you're there, um, you'll know that that's part of our, our history of where it all started, um, okay? And then we ended up uh, doing a project in Haiti in 2008, so just kind of wherever opportunities came up, okay? <laughs> there's, there's when, uh, I, part of what I wanted to do is uh, kind of tell some big changing points, uh, a few funny stories along the way, and uh, a couple of game changers. And believe it or not, the guy on the left Um, You talk about a game changer uh, and a godsend. Uh, Obviously, the guy teaching this class, Kevin, um, the way Kevin likes to say it is that Steve Sherman set us up on a blind date. Um, (laughs) Kevin and I had passed in the halls, so I guess it wasn't completely blind. We passed in the hallways at Otter Creek for I guess two or three years and did kind of the, hey, hey. And I didn't have the first idea that this guy was like a first top-rate level water engineer. And he was the assistant director of water for Brentwood, but he's really the guy filling all the tanks and all that. So so we ended up having a meeting uh, in the back of the Otter Creek uh, offices about an upcoming project in Guatemala. And I look, and here's Kevin across the table from me. And I said, oh, Kevin, I'm John. I, I think we may have met. Well, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm, I'm a water engineer. And I said, you don't say so I'd say probably within 48 hours he was on our board Um, after I I know actually it may have been when I went back to work and I emailed our board I said guess what Uh, and then I emailed uh, when we said yes let's definitely get him involved I emailed him uh, and within five minutes I had a response he said well sure how could I turn that down so you can imagine, again, here's a guy that has no background in water, trying to learn along the way. And then, I originally had this, uh, the title of this slide, 2008, Sent from Heaven, no, no really. <laughs> um, and that's how it felt with Kevin. He's, uh, he's got an incredible heart, um, and he is an incredible resource. The way he communicates, the way he talks to people, even when there's a language barrier, uh, it is amazing, and he puts t- together these incredible reports after we visit a place that you would pay thousands and thousands of dollars for. So again, when you're volunteer run, these kind of things, these kind of these kind of things help. Um, so Kevin joined us in 2008. Um, the meeting that we were at uh, that Steve had arranged was about something called Project Dual Pond. Um, in Guatemala, and the Colvette family, and uh, Chris and Dee Dee Hatchell decided to go down uh, to this remote Mayan village in the middle of nowhere. Raise your hand if you went to Guatemala. Anybody in here? Several. So, um, there was a project that uh, we were asked to provide funding, and I guess Kevin's expertise, um, and then Lipscomb University was involved, um, and this was a multi-year project that sort of uh, expanded the reach of the living water ministry um, just as an example uh, this is Benitzel, Benitzel Opan, um the, the pilot project in the valley this is where they were getting their water um, this is the first community we, we went into after some exploratory trips they were doing their laundry in this as well and it was a stagnant spring um, this is Steven Dodson from Lipscomb, and another Lipscomb student, and this is the first project, this is building of a spring box. Um, and you'll see if you can go to the next slide. <coughs> there are a couple of people you know. Carrie Patterson, um, Otter, uh, Otter Creek Elder, and Steve Sherman. This is the same spring that you just saw a minute ago after it's been worked on and the spring box is put, is put in. Okay. And uh, this is when water first started flowing, um, before the pipe was put underground. Uh, I said I had a couple of stories. This, uh, you can't really tell, this is the concrete top of the spring box. And uh, while we could still keep up with it because the number of projects were so small, every time we would finish a well, we would put a sign or something up that said, you know, this water is given in memory of Shannon Dickerson, um, a follower of Jesus. And then we would say John four thirteen and 14, which was our, our verse. Well, this is Kechi, a tribal Mayan language. Um, and so uh, I someone said, well, we need to put the inscription in the concrete while it's wet. So I wrote down uh, everything that needed to be translated and I got to the end and I would put, you know, writing it out and then something Sidetracked me, and I forgot to finish. And I put John four thirteen, and I forgot to put the dash fourteen. And so, so what John four thirteen says is, says uh, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what they put on the box. (laughs) So. I was like, oh, man, somebody had said something, and I got distracted, and I forgot to write it, the, and then they picked it up and went and translated it. And, and so uh, you can imagine, you know, a Mayan coming up and going, well, duh, you know? <laughs> well, it it rained that night uh, before the concrete was uh, completely dry, so we got a second chance at it. Um, okay. <clears> okay. <throat> Uh, one of the things that's interesting, and we talk about water and the earth as part of this class, um, is we are, we are sterile in our culture now in that we, there are layers between us and the land. We, we get our food from Kroger. We don't go out and plow the land, in, uh, in, unless some of you are farmers and I don't know it. But um, these people are, were living largely like they were 500 years ago still. And there's this intimate relationship between them and the land. And so this project at Benetzel Opan, the night before mm-hmm. we began work uh, to dig out the spring and to run all the pipe, um, they said, well, we need, to, we need to ask God's blessing on the land. And so uh, all the men of the village went and got candles and incense. And we gathered around the spring um, and they had a big ceremony and they read from the Kechi Bible. Um, they read a verse and of course I couldn't understand it and afterward I asked somebody who knew Kachi I said well, what what was that verse that they read and they said it was the woman at the well mm-hmm. um, and they didn't know that the name of the ministry was the Living Water Project so that was kind of cool mm-hmm. um, but again this very uh, close connection between land and God so they said we need to ask God's blessing upon the land before we begin work okay and that's what it looked like when it was done Um, So that was the first project of, I think, 11 communities uh, in Guatemala, in in this valley, okay? One of the things that I love about the work that Kevin and and Chris, uh, the the Colvettes and Hatchels did, is that they made sure to leave things uh, in a sustainable fashion. And this guy is named Julio. And he was someone who emerged as sort of a leader and who wanted to learn. And Kevin and Chris taught him a tremendous amount about water. And Kevin said, my, perhaps my best moment in the time in the valley is when a group came in and, and Julio, who knew nothing about water, ended up giving directions and instructions on carrying out the project. So Julio is now the water guy in the valley and oversees all these projects and makes sure that things are running well. Um, okay, um, one, thing, one thing when you talk about sustainable work, um, there, was a, there was a project done that ran across two communities in the valley that a nonprofit came in and did in the mid 90s and it cost half a million dollars. There was a huge galvanized pipe about like this running all the way up and down the rolling hills between these two communities. Some nonprofit in the U.S. had spent half a million dollars, sent a team, and run this big thing of pipe and done the system, and then they left, and it worked for two months. And we talked to the people. We went into the village, and actually, when we went into this particular village, they were burying a baby, an infant that had died from uh, a lack of clean water. Literally, when we showed up, that's what they were doing, and here's this half a million dollar system. Well... We started talking to the people in the community and they said it worked for two months, you know, they ran it right through the land. We appreciated it, but it didn't work. So Kevin and Chris and their engineer teams that came down completely revamped that system and they did an incredible job and did one for $22,000 that did probably more than that original system did and again had oversight. So A few pictures from the valley. Um, These pilas weigh somewhere around 500 pounds, the big sinks, receiving points. I love this picture of the little girl um, getting water. Okay. Um, More from the La Valley. That's either Sam or Zach. I can never remember which, but sweet picture. Um, Okay. And then this is uh, some of the Mayan residents in another project at the Big Tank, okay. This is one of my favorite um, pictures. This lady um, was 80 years old and had never had water come to her house. And Kevin and Chris and their guys ran a line uh, and she has a water receiving point at her house now. And I'm thinking 80 years and then you get water at your house. That's pretty cool, okay? Uh, Something that changed for us, and I know I've got like 10 minutes maybe, so I need to move here. Uh, this guy's named Foster Freeze, and uh, kind of a long story short, he had his 70th birthday celebration. He's a friend of uh, Lee and Kelly Beeman. Uh, in 2010, I get a call from Kelly Beeman, who I'd maybe talked to twice, and she said, Foster's having his 70th birthday celebration out here, and we've been asked to submit uh, a nonprofit or ministry that, that we like, and they're gonna choose three ministries and give them $70,000 and all the others that are submitted from this big party will get $7,000. Uh, and they said, we thought Living Water would be a great one to nominate. And I said, wow, that's amazing. Of all the things that they're connected to, it's amazing that I, I was blown away. So they said, put some stuff together. So I put some things together to submit. And I get a call from Kelly one night in August that says, you have a check for $70,000 uh, that will be in the mail soon. And what they did was, they ended up giving everybody's charity $70,000 that night. So for a ministry that was doing one or two wells a year, when someone writes you a $70,000 check, that's a game changer. So with the money from, okay, the freeze wells, we uh, it opened some doors to explore other opportunities. We did Ethiopia, okay. Um, Uganda, this is the peace, uh, village of hope uganda which uh exile international connected us to um uh, cindy cunningham in her her ministry okay Uh, also a well in ghana okay Uh, five wells in haiti okay and some of that went to some of the projects in guatemala as well okay um and then togo uh, we started a partnership with a ministry called water four in togo Um, Kind of a long story as to how they do this, but wells are shallower there, and they can do wells for $1,000. And all of the parts uh, are locally available and easily replaced, okay? And then also a well in Nigeria, and you can see the water used to come out of this spout. Um, And this is the well that was used, okay? Uh, A couple of quick funny stories. Uh, Kevin and I were in Honduras. The guy on the left is a local um, uh, utilities guy and uh, we spent the day with him looking at villages and kevin's he had a gps we didn't have a gps with us and the guy said i got to go kevin said uh well can we keep your gps for the rest of the day and the guy said sure and kevin said he leaves kevin goes thanks for the gps and the guy (laughs) laughed and well, I accidentally took the GPS home with me. So the guy was probably like,
0: you're hey, serious.
1: <laughs> also, Kevin had joked at some point on the trip that uh, his, he wanted to be followed around by a mariachi band. That was, his, that was his, one of his dreams was to be followed around by a mariachi band. So we got to this uh, City of Angels, or I forget how you say it in Spanish, which is kind of the Antigua to Guatemala. This place is sort of that to Tegucigalpa. And so, sure enough, there's a mariachi band in this little town, and we said, "We'll slip you some money if you'll follow this guy around." And so, they followed Kevin around, and, and uh, it was pretty, pretty funny. So that's him. That's him, kind of testing their, uh, <laughs> testing their resolve. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mentioned the Water Four partnership. Um, These are people that live in the community that is getting a well. They have this big tripod that they bore down through the ground. Um, They don't need a giant rig, which are very costly, and they don't need the fuel. Um, Water 4, um, we've been involved with for, this is our sixth year, and we've done well over 100 wells with those guys, Um, okay? And I kind of like that picture. That's a good good one of those kids, okay? zambia mission fund which is something uh is caroline martin Cormac. um she used to be at otter creek she's a member of our board um this is her she got us connected to this ministry in zambia uh, she went there to do some speech pathology and we've now done 30 some odd wells there over the last five years um, the people there said when, when we first started funding wells there they said we never imagined out here that anyone would ever find us to send a rig out here. So those have been some of our favorite projects, okay? Uh, More Zambia, that's a previous water source on the left. Um, And then they're drilling there, okay? Uh, More Zambia, okay? Uh, Project, uh, uh, short-term group of wells, five wells in Liberia that we did. Um, Final Command Ministries, how many of you have heard of Final Command Ministries? Okay, that's a name you're gonna probably start hearing more. Um, They are a church planting ministry started by, uh, well, one of the people is the Trousdale family. Uh, Jerry Trousdale used to be an Otter Creeker. They are planting churches using the disciple making movement. uh, And and they're really focusing on West Africa moving north into Muslim dominated areas. Um, This is the first well we partnered with on them. Uh, these, These wells are going in communities where they are planting churches as a physical expression of the gospel okay Um, exile international democratic republic of the congo their their residential center the peace Lives center this is one of my favorite projects and my favorite pictures Um, you guys know i think about their story these are former child soldiers Um, we are currently in uh, going in halfway on funding with the well coffee house Um, to fund a water project like this at their second Peace Club. Uh, It's not residential yet, it's in a town called Kabumba, which I think is a cool name. Um, So this is the first one, and they've got three other uh, what they call Peace Clubs that are non-residential that we're hoping to bring water to, okay? Um, We got connected, kind of through a long story, with the Pujols Family Foundation, as in Albert Pujols, the baseball player. Um, Kevin and I went down um, to the Dominican in 2013, or 2014. This is back in December and this is the project. Kevin and a group of engineers went down and they laid, there's a well, and then they went and laid 12,000 feet of pipe like this all throughout this community um, of what are mostly Haitian immigrants that have moved over to the Dominican and they're living in really, really tough conditions, okay? Uh, 2015, uh, we had just connected with uh, TJ and Holly McLeod, who a lot of you I'm sure knew. Um, they're in Nicaragua now, working with Palmetto Medical Initiative. Um, and uh, this was, uh, I talked to TJ and I said, well, after you've been there a while, we'll check back on the water situation. So this is a water system that was just put in um, or improved at a clinic where they're working. Um, and then uh, our dear friend Jackie England um, who passed away back in October um, I wish I had time to tell this but um, basically in a matter of hours after I learned that the family had decided for donations to go to the Living Water Project uh, I got an email from TJ that said and she, she she died of a kidney of kidney disease I got an email from TJ that said um, I asked him about needs he said you know the biggest need down here is that people die from kidney complications. And in 15 years, or at the time 14, it was the first time that anyone had ever cited kidney issues as the primary need for water. And so, you know, we said, well, we need to, we need to do something to connect those donations to this work. So, um, about $15,000 was given in honor of Jackie and that is going to provide a water system for a brand new clinic that's being built in Nicaragua. Um, Hopefully, end of this year, or possibly early next year. So, um, okay. Um, Final Command Ministries. um, Again, Kevin and I, along with Jerry Atnip, um, photographer, went to Senegal and Niger um, to visit communities. This is Kevin talking about asking questions to a community. This was a cool situation. This is an existing well, uh, and they wanted to see if Kevin could troubleshoot, figure out why it's not working um, so you can see him when he's doing his work. He's outstanding at communicating. Um, we finished on this. This is an all-Muslim community, and when we finished, they said, can we, can we pray with you guys? So we circled up, and as we prayed, um, the Muslim call to prayer was going up. Um, across the way, which was an interesting sort of juxtaposition of um, of this. So, um, some really sweet people there, okay? Um, this is in uh, Niger, um, other part of this trip. What you can't tell from either of these pictures is how blooming hot it was. Um, it was somewhere around 115 with the equatorial sun, and uh, I mean, it was so hot. I mean, the only other place I've been that was like that was Sudan. Um, and this 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 community is called Mayanga Gruma, um, which uh, this was the pilot project in Niger uh, with final command. This accompanied a church. This was accompanying a church plant uh, in an all-Muslim community, uh, and we knew that they were they had just finished the well two days before we got there, which turned out to be really good timing. Uh, so we drove out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, over this is the Sahel, about an hour's drive from the Sahara. So over all dirt, we drive for about two and a half hours, and you know, not knowing what to expect. And they said, well, they got a celebration for the for the uh, dedication of the well, and not knowing what to expect, we walked into the community, and this is how we were received, um, and it was incredible. Um, they had they had food, they had a huge gathering of the community, uh, a big ceremony. Um, I meant to include a picture of the well itself, but I think this is probably better. So um, that was an incredible experience and memorable. And we were told that typically um, this tribe is not, it takes a while usually before they're willing to kind of open up and let you in. Um, And that the reception that they gave us was not typical uh, in, in how open and Unguarded it was so that's one of my favorite experiences from all the years. Okay And I finally made it into a picture because I'm always the photographer Um, but I couldn't I couldn't leave without a photo op there Um, And again the result of a lot of work from a lot of volunteers um, To date 19 countries 581 thousand dollars and 239 wells. So uh, Not sure exactly what lies ahead, but it's been a pretty good run so far. So um any quick questions before we go? I know it's time. People have kids to pick up and things like but that. Want so to what do you do? that's a great question. <laughs> um, and by the way, Sandra has been Sandra and Jerry have been great advocates, and Sandra has served on our board for the last couple of years and um, has been a super volunteer. So good example here. Um, you can go to the website uh, LivingWaterWells.org. Uh, and there's a donation portal there or um, they'll check our address for the ministry. Our official address is the church's address, so a check can be left in the office made up to the Living Water Project, so you have options. Yeah? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, we heavily depend on locals and established ministries that are already functioning and already doing God's work in those communities and so we rely on them to identify communities and also to provide oversight and we communicate regularly. It's not unusual for me to communicate with people in four or five different countries in a night um, sitting at my computer at home. Um, So I would be lying if I said we followed up on all 239 of them in the last year or two, Um, but we do have hands and feet on the ground and incredible locals who are working there, so we figure that's the best model for us since we're we all have regular jobs. Yeah, and it's worked so far. We have we have, um, to my knowledge, two wells that are not working now, and there were two in Sudan that were destroyed in the conflict right now. So.